Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that, time jerks. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And Nick, I'm not sure there uh, is any better version uh, of the fourth and one podcast than a playoff victory edition, sir. Well, I thought you were going to say something worse than that, so I'm proud you didn't. <laughs> People is, that don't it, know, Todd and I just started taking this at 2.46 in the morning. Right, I was going to say, it's uh, too Monday in morning. the morning for me to be too So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm very proud of Todd. And if you could see Todd on the video right now, he's very sharply dressed. Um, yeah, he's, he's very sharply dressed. I can tell he just came from Chiefs game. Looks like he may have done some coaching on the sidelines of a uh, of a basketball game, <laughs> potentially. He's got a he's got a shirt and tie on, very professional, Todd. Uh, well, in, in fairness, this is it, the most professional podcast I've been a part of right now. <laughs> it was uh, it occurred to me today, um, not to you know derail the podcast too soon, uh, but it occurred to me today as I was getting you know. <laughs> well, at least uh, you admit you're still going to derail it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's inevitable. Um, <laughs> But Thanos. <laughs> this is the first uh, time I've covered a Chiefs game um, where Therese Paler wasn't there. And Therese would have been very, very disappointed if I had shown up to a playoff game without a, a, a collared shirt and a tie. So while my impulse was just a, a nice, warm sweater, um, because especially once the press box clears out, it gets quite cold up there. That's an uh, understatement. <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, you know, I had I had to I had to put on the the shirt and tie for my man today. Well, I I, I don't have any I don't have I mean there's no sarcastic quips I have for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Therese related. <laughs> um, and look, I I think uh, um, you know I'm. I mean, the, the Chiefs took their time, but then I think they they put on a show that Therese would have enjoyed for six straight drives there. Um you know, once the offense finally got going. So I, let me ask you this. Okay. Cause we know that the chiefs are going to play the bills. We knew going in that the Steelers were overmatched and wouldn't be able to score with the chiefs. Right. And it, for the most part, if you look at the final stats and you, and you take the game as a whole, um, it played out essentially like you would have expected. You know, we, if you go back and listen to the previous podcast, we said there would be some drives where TJ Watt is capable of wrecking some things. Um, you know, the chiefs are who they are. So they're going to have times where the offense sputters a little bit. Cause that's what they've shown this year. But that at the end of the day, they, they were just too, too explosive for Pittsburgh and, and all those things proved to be true. But when you think about the offense, do you, do, are you more worried about the way they started the game, you know, with the three punts and, and, and the fumble and the interception, uh, on those first five drives, or do you focus more on what happened after that when they got going and were kind of that juggernaut team you remember from the last three years? Well, like we talked about on the previous podcast, the thing I was kind of curious to watch and see how it unfold <clears throat> is how long it would take the Chiefs to kind of start up and get some of the playoff jitters and get some of that out there and play their natural game. And like I like you and I talked about in the previous podcast, whenever I, I said that, I was like, I'm curious to see if in the wild card, if they have the same issue that they normally have in the divisional round where it takes a while for them to get started up before they do it. So my new question going into this upcoming week against the bills is do, if the chiefs can pick up where they left off at the, you know, from the second quarter on, or is it more a slow start to a fast finish? Now, I mean, 
Look, I'll be honest. I mean, if a slow start means they're going to have a dominating performance and make you comfortable, you know, throughout, hey, you know what? Start slow for a couple series. I don't care. Because <laughs> I'd rather have, you know, I'd rather have it be the, you know, slow start to a fast finish versus a, uh, you know, a fast start and a, a sputtering finish like they've had from time to time. So, yeah, I mean, look, the offense was trying to, it just looked at the play calling there for about a quarter, quarter half just didn't, it looked very out of sync. It just didn't look coherent at times. And it just, it didn't take advantage of what Pittsburgh was trying to give the chiefs at times. And then finally, once they started working Jarek McKinnon in there, you know, that, that kind of created the spark because there was a couple of series where Pat was forcing it and he, and that's what led to that interception by TJ Watt. And then they forced it again with the wildcat with McCole yeah. Hartman deep in their own territory that made no sense. I mean, if you, if you're going to run that, you run that early on in the year, maybe late in the game when it doesn't matter. So you at least get some practice at it and game experience and get some reps at it, but to throw it in that situation, just to kind of create a spark, it just, that, that wasn't ideal timing. So, you know, and I know people are saying right now, um, I just, this is part of my rant right now. Uh, I know people are, some people are questioning why the chiefs, Use the Allegretti touchdown play. Well, did you see Buffalo? They did a bootleg off one yesterday. You got to match everything Buffalo is doing right now. And that's not in a bad way. That's just trying to show, you know, it's just sending out Buffalo tried to send the warning shot out to the rest of the AFC yesterday with their performance and what they did on Saturday. So the chiefs had to answer the Titans are going to have to answer. And you know, the Bengals are going to have to potentially answer as well. You know, this upcoming week in the divisional round for the other three opponents. So uh, there, there's that part of it. And on top of that, with the Kelsey touchdown on the Wildcat, look, there's so many variations they can do off that now. Because yeah. that, that Wildcat that Kelsey's, Kelsey's ran there for years. Like they, it used to be Spencer Ware that did it, and they moved Kelsey in the Spencer Ware spot. But I mean, there's so many variations they have off that Wildcat. That's the first time they've used the pass option out of it. But guess what? There's like three other options on that route in the future if they need it. So, I mean, but it's going to force some of the secondary members to hesitate now. And that may open up some rushing, you know, some run lanes in some spots, may open up a flats pass for somebody that's not named Patrick Mahomes, even though he ran it tonight. But I mean, there's just, there's, there's, as, as they say in the movie Step Brothers, there's so much room for activities. Well, and, and a couple things about that. One, you know, I, I heard from people more that they were like, oh, they should have saved the, the Kelsey touchdown. And, and I'm like, the Chiefs were just having fun. And they've got yeah. boatloads of those plays. And like you said, they put something on tape, and Andy can have counters and and different versions of it and, and different reads off of it. As far as the Allegretti play, um, Patrick Mahomes said, he's, he's like, look, He's like, he's not even, it's not like it was a special play for him. Like he's my fourth read on that play. Like it's basically, you know, it's, it's actually designed to go to Michael Burton. And then he came off him cause he was covered and Kelsey was open. And then, then his third read is in the back of the end zone. He said, and Nick Allegretti has the, you know, we've told him, Hey, if you want to leak out, you know, since you're tackle eligible on that play, you know, and just, you know, get open, then go ahead. But they, the, the idea is never to throw it to him on it. But Patrick said after the game that like in practice, the chiefs had everything covered. He ended up throwing it to Allegretti in that situation. And that just happened to be how it worked out. So I don't even think that's one where they, where they emptied the playbook. The other thing is on the McCole Hardman play. Like I think people underestimate on those RPOs uh, or really 
that's not much so much an RPO, but it's it's more of an RRO, right? It's a run run option. But that mesh point that you have to have right. with the running back is something to your point that you have to work on pretty consistently mm-hmm. because there's a lot that goes into it because the running back has to have it, but he also has to to be able to feel, you know, when when the quarterback's trying to pull it back or he has to clamp down because if he, you know, if if there's interior pressure on that, he's he can't give up a fumble there either. Um, you know, if he gets the ball, it's not an, as easy as these guys make it look most of the time. Right. And and to to break that out in a playoff game where emotions are already high, jitters are already going, you know, and, and you've you've uh you know, you've played to a stalemate through four drives, which was not what you were expecting with the Steelers. I will say this though, even when that happened, like I, I was sitting there talking with a reporter Aaron Ladd, who was in the press box with me for the game. And he he's you know, he was he was like, Oh man, and I I told him right then, I, I said, the Chiefs are still going to cover. <laughs> like, I just, I had a, I felt like the Chiefs were going to get things. I felt like the Chiefs were going to get things going on that drive. And I, I, in fact, tweeted that. And then, of course, I look like a, a fool because they gave up the fumble return touchdown. But I still felt like the, that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs were close to unlocking things. And that's really the difference in the Chiefs history here. I mean, seven of the 16 playoff wins this franchise has had have come in the last four years under Patrick Mahomes. They've won as many games in the last since in 2018 through 21 as they had from 1969 until 2017. So maybe it's thinking about the 2019 run when they erased a 24 point deficit and double digit deficits, you know, to the Titans and 49ers. But I never thought that the Chiefs were going to do anything other than come back and roll the Steelers. The Steelers and the Eagles are the seven seeds. They, they, they wouldn't have been playoff teams two years ago. They probably weren't deserving of being playoff teams this year. And their performances ultimately against the chiefs and Buccaneers showed that they weren't at the same level as the, the number two seeds in their respective conferences. You're not wrong, Todd. You are not wrong, sir, but Hey, they were there for the chiefs to be able to play them and get a, you hope it's a tune up that puts them kind of locks them back into place because <clears throat> the biggest benefit you're hoping for, but I mean, the coaching staff's not going to know and the players aren't going to know until they go out, out on the field the next, this upcoming Sunday is how much, how much for some of those guys getting to deal with that playing speed. So for example, I'm, I'm talking about Creed Humphrey. I'm talking about Trey Smith, you know, Noah Gray, some of those other guys that may have not been in the playoffs before, they finally got that opportunity to be able to go against some of those, some of that playoff type speed and some of those situations where you got a handful of guys on the roster from the Chiefs that have been a part of this run, been there, done that. Some of these other guys haven't been in those moments and situations from them. And if I had counted up, it's at least a third, if not half of the roster that wasn't there for that, you know, that Houston Texans game and, you know, 20, you know, the, during the 2019 season, like those, those moments they just they hadn't been there for so it was it was just really interesting because the offense the way it was trying to create a spark there and how the first 15 really didn't seem to work and so i mean it uh it was a struggle there for a little while but just the way they went about it and the approach they did i was kind of hoping they would establish the run game earlier 
But yeah. based on the running back snap counts that they ended up happen, ap- happening, uh, it's pretty clear that Daryl Williams' toe wasn't wasn't an ideal situation based on the fact that I think he had less than 10 snaps. And then Gore didn't seem like he really fit style-wise with what the Steelers were taking away. So I think they kind of limited his touches at that point. So it became more of the Jarek McKinnon show. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens here in the future if the if the Chiefs have to do something where they bring up Darwin Thompson uh, in, a, in a week or two, uh, potentially. You know, we'll see uh, how that ends up shaking out here if they need to bring him up this week and if he's still up to speed on the playbook or what what they have to adjust. But, no, I mean, look, I mean, McKinnon, I mean, McKinnon's, I, I, what you know. I could see him having a Damian Williams-type impact in this postseason. I mean, he already kind of has this first game with 142 yards, uh, but I think they may have found something with Jarek McKinnon here. I mean, the vision he showed uh, on some of, on some of those plays, um, the burst that he had in the screen game, um, you know, I mean, look at halftime, he had six catches or six rushes for 40 yards and five catches for 58 yards, you know, finishes with 142 total yards. I mean, is he the best running back on the team now that he's healthy? He's the most explosive running back on the team. Uh, so, I mean, in, in that regard, I mean, they, the Chiefs were truly able to take advantage of the Steelers being the 32nd run defense. Oh, yeah. And if they didn't have McKinnon out there tonight, they, that offense would have struggled and sputtered significantly without his speed and ability to take advantage of some things and create those sparks in the screen game that he was able to because the Chiefs don't have any other running backs on the roster and I'm talking active roster. I mean, Elijah McGuire has some of that speed. Darwin Thompson has some of that speed. He may unnecessarily hurdle at some point when he doesn't need to <laughs> during that screen. But, I mean, you know, each one of those guys has their own skill set and their own kind of complementary style. And Daryl's going to be that big bruiser between the tackles, Jarek McKinnon. Yeah, in all honesty, when you use them more on pitches, counters, try to maybe toss his screen game, like, you know, use him as a receiver. Like that's, that's where he can shine. So, I mean, the chiefs are going to have to figure out a way from week to week, how to blend that in together. And I mean, look, the, the bigger question, well, it's not a question for me, but I think for other people, people, people are going to keep asking, hopefully the questions about Clyde Edwards, Hilaire get less this week after the performance McKinnon put out there. Right. Cause I think people saw, Oh, that's what this offense looks like when it has an explosive running back, a guy that's got some burst. And, and I'm telling you right now, Jerick McKinnon, he's not he's not the top upper echelon in terms of burst. Like that, McCall Hardman and Tyree Kill yeah. are. Yeah. But I mean, like you know, for what the Chiefs need with that blocking scheme that they have and that style that they run in the screen game, Jerick McKinnon fits the bill for what they need to get done this year. Long term, you want to go get some other running backs that are above him in terms of speed, acceleration, burst. And if you're able to get that, guess what happens next year? Teams can't run that two shell. They, and even the Steelers came out of that part of the time whenever they were doing some of that, when they had two safeties back. That's why Mahomes was able to uh, do the single highlight up fly to Tyreek Hill on that one touchdown. Yep. And why they got some of the things open is because they got him to go to single high because of how much Jarek McKinnon was just torching him and tearing him up underneath there. And that's going to be one of the bigger keys not only for the rest of this postseason run, but for the Chiefs roster, if they can go get more explosive running backs and get some more explosiveness and some, uh, a big body receiver as well, and I'm talking multiple receivers, multiple running backs, to add to the scheme long term, what you saw from that second quarter on 
that will become the normal cheese with those additions at the skill set positions long term. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like you said, you've got one of the most explosive weapons in the deep, you know, the deep quadrant of the field with Tyreek Hill. You've got one of the most explosive weapons, especially in terms of yards after the catch, historically good in Travis Kelsey. What you'd lacked or what you hadn't seen enough of this year was that short, that short guy who could, you know, in in the short yardage who can turn those into chunk plays. And, and when, when McKinnon just consistently did that, that's when the Steelers have to pivot. And that's when it opens things up for the other guys. Like you said, I mean, that 31 yard, I'm telling you in the press box, like, like you could just see immediately, like the, the safety was never ever getting there. And when, Ty, when Tyreek Hill ran by that cornerback, I mean, everybody in the stadium, like, like, I mean, their eyes lit up as big as Patrick Mahomes. Like, like I, I'm convinced that most of the time, uh, people watching the NFL, you know, it, it's hard to even for you know guys like you or me who might watch some game film, you know, here and there, or you who some, watch game film religiously. Some <laughs> it can still be hard. You still don't see it like an NFL quarterback. It's still not right. like obvious, like what the right decision is. Like that one, like like there were. 90,000 people between the press box, the suites and the rest of the stadium who were, who were like, Oh, Tyreek's like wide. Like there's no one within 10 yards. Of him. I'd throw it to him. <laughs> yeah. Like the number 10 was significant on that play. Cause that's how close the nearest like defender was. And if it you notice, and, and if you notice Tyreek out there, he didn't have a hobble. He didn't have a limp to it. Yeah. And he even did a, uh, he decided to do his back flip again. And then he did a little cheerleading there on the sidelines after one of the touchdowns. You got the pom poms out there. So whatever they whatever they need to do with, I mean, if they want to repeat what they did this week with Tyreek, you know, have him be limited <laughs> two of the days and only have full practice one of the days and let him get his treatment the way that he does. Hey, I'm all for it if that's the type of uh, performance that's going to be able to be put out there. If, if not even better with another week of rest off of it on a regular basis. And kind of circling back to Patrick Mahomes, like I, one of the things that came up was the last game the Chiefs played before Mahomes. Like, you know, when when they lost to an inferior Tennessee Titans team, they blew that twenty-one-three halftime lead. Kelsey got the concussion. You had the 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 um, the fumble that they called. You know, forward progress had been stopped on. You had Mariota throwing the ball to himself. And if you remember, you you think back to that game and you think it's going to take fluky plays like that. I think there was the same sense with with the Steelers. It was going to take some fluky stuff like that. And then you get a couple fluky plays. T.J. Watt tips the pass and Devin Bush intercepts it. You have the fumble on the gadget play, you know, when when McCole Hardman and, and Williams, you know, put the ball on the ground and T.J. Watt returned it for a touchdown. It was setting up that way. But when you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, that it's just he changes the game so much. And, and I just want to give you an example. He, he goes 30 of 39 for a franchise playoff record, 404 yards and tied his own record with five touchdowns. But what he did is unprecedented in NFL history. Tom Brady once threw five touchdowns in a 25 minute span in a playoff game. And that was the all time NFL record for the, the shortest amount of game time for a player to throw five touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes did it in 11 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, granted, the defense getting you the ball back plays a big factor in that. 
But just think about that. That's insane. Five touchdowns in 11 minutes and 31 seconds of game time. Like when you have a player who's capable of doing that, and I love Alex Smith, but he's not a player who was capable of doing that. When you have someone like Mahomes, it's just, it's just crazy. But I want to ask, Hold what, on, impressed, before, before you what impressed ask, you the most about Mahomes? Before you ask, you know who you know who believed that stat the second you said it about uh, ten minutes. You know the ten minute five touchdown in ten minutes, just like that type of thing. Yeah. Any of the Houston Texans players from the 2019 season that were listening to this podcast right now, the the, the way that that snuck on them snuck up on them pretty quickly. They're like, oh no, I believe it. I can see it happening. And that's and that's what the Steelers are scared of, and I hate to say it, but that's what that's what the league's scared of at times is that, um, like, I mean, the first quarter, quarter and a half, you saw a lot of the first six weeks of the Chiefs, you know, offense there, and you saw some of the first six weeks of the Chiefs' defense at times, you know, through variation through various parts of that game, but then you also saw like the midpoint of the chiefs defense with the way they were smothering and dominant at times there and kind of held, held on and held on tight till the offense got it figured out. And then they could start firing on all cylinders. So, I mean, you, you saw, you saw different phases of the Chiefs season all, all in that quarter in the first quarter and a half there before it finally came together. Um, now in terms of impressing me about Patrick Mahomes <clears throat> earlier in the year, after after the Watt um, the Watt tip that turned in an interception earlier in the season, Patrick would have kept pressing, just kept pressing, just kept pressing, just kept pressing, and maybe compounded you know the mistakes to where they got bigger and bigger with more turnovers or forcing something that wasn't there. This time around, he took what he took what the defense gave him. He took the check down, you know, to the to uh, McKinnon, or he. You know, took the safe throw that was there, or he threw it in the dirt because he knew he didn't like what was there, and he wasn't going to cause something to cause a ricochet and turnover. Pat is this whole year and this whole experience that he went through with the roster that he has has helped him one become more patient. He's not always having to look for the home run ball, but when it's there, he'll take it. But it also has calmed him in a way to where he's faced that adversity throughout the year. And there are times where he doesn't he he lets the game come to him sometimes. Now everything I talked about are still things that they're gonna have to adjust on this roster long term to bring out the best in him and to bring out the best in the team overall. But yeah, no, I mean this this was a big growth year for Patrick, and a lot of what he did in that second, third, and fourth quarter with the adversity that he faced in the first quarter at times and some of the unsatisfactory drives and disappointments is kind of showed, you know, that whole season in a nutshell and how he's evolved as a quarterback in his fifth year. And, and I think, and rightfully so based on the stats that he put together, there's this thought that this was a down year for Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, his rating was under hundred for the first time in his career. He threw, you know, more interceptions than he had in a season. Although a lot of them were fluky early in the season. Listen, man, if if your bad year is going to be averaging 285 yards per game, throwing 37 touchdowns, and leading your team to a 12 and five record and a division title, you know tying for the AFC lead, you know, 
I mean, they had the best record in the AFC. They just lost the tiebreaker to the Titans, right? Like, if that's your bad year, like, sign me up, baby. Like, there's a reason why he was, they, the Chiefs signed essentially a 12-year extension, and it's because that's what it is. Like, like a bad year for Patrick Mahomes is a number two seed and MVP caliber numbers almost any other year. Like, if you take away Brady and and... Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's arguably had the the best, the most impressive season in the AFC and a supposedly down year, man. Um, but he's not the only unicorn on this roster. Um, we need to, to do some Travis Kelsey appreciation here because I think that people know how that he's a future Hall of Famer, right? I think people know how great he is. Uh, this, this stat put it into context for me. First of all, He's the first player in NFL history to have four straight 100-yard receiving games in the playoffs. All three last season, and then he had five catches for 108 yards and that insane 48-yard touchdown that I really thought was the dagger against the Steelers. Because um, I think if the Steelers manage to limp into halftime down 14-7, they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling like they're in it. But as soon as he catches that ball, turns up field, and, and wins a foot race to the end zone, I think that took the, any steam that the Steelers had left was gone at that point. But this is the the stat that, that was crazy to me. So he's got seven career 100 yard games in 12 and in, in 12 playoff appearances. The NFL record for most 100 yard receiving games in the playoffs is eight by Jerry Rice, and it took him 31 games. I mean, just think about that. The single greatest pass catcher in NFL history had 800 yard games and 31 career playoff appearances. Travis Kelsey has seven and 12. A tight end shouldn't be able to do what that man does. Does he get enough credit for how special he really is? No. No, he doesn't, and he won't. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of it, unfortunately. I mean, but, I mean, these are the – unfortunately, this is – these are the stages – where most of the Hall of Famers, where a lot of the Hall of Famers get made, is if you can shine in postseason games when every single national media member has to watch you over and over again and time and time again, these are the ones that kind of define a lot of guys' careers. Not everybody, but, you know, like uh, Calvin Johnson's career wasn't defined by that. Barry Sanders' career wasn't defined by postseason. It's just you, those were special levels of greatness that you couldn't ignore whether it was on a Thanksgiving day game or whatever, but the more times you're in the spotlight, the more times you're in prime time, the more times people have to consciously be aware of you year after year after year, it's going to end up paying off for Travis Kelsey long-term. But like that stat right there, if he ends up breaking that this year, or, you know, hopefully knock your knock on wood next year or the year after, like that's, that's the first, that's one of the first go-tos you have in a hall of fame meeting, whenever, whenever the person, whoever's going to be the person from Kansas city's up there presenting at that meeting, that's what you do. You're like, Hey, he did this. And hopefully half the amount of games that Jerry Rice did, you know, like all those little accomplishments where you compare them to some of the best receivers who are already in the hall of fame. Um, those type of things like that's, those, those are the things and moments that are really going to, People won't appreciate him right now, but it'll be long-term down the road where people will appreciate that type of stuff, whether it's Mahomes, Tyreek, Andy Reid, and what he's done. Like a stat that I, uh, that I ran full screen-wise, um, 
the Chiefs right now have the longest active winning streak, or it's, uh, they have the longest active consecutive seasons with playoff appearances in the NFL right now. It's seven. It's like twice as many as anybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like since 2015, the Chiefs yeah. have been in the playoffs. Like every single year. Like there was a time you were just hoping the Chiefs made it every third year. Like you're like, hey, you got to get that one moment and maybe make that run. No, it's like it's it's at times it feels like it turns into the Arrowhead Invitational, like it's just a given, and like that's just what Andy Reid's brought from a culture perspective here. That's what this organization's done, and like I said, if you've been in previous podcasts, if you've been through those really dark days, like you still, you know, it's it's very easy to appreciate the moments of right now. with what what type of product they put out there, with what they're doing, all the nitpicking things that we all do, those are what you see as the caliber of what they need to reach. Like where, you know, like whenever I pick on Orlando Brown, as some people have told me on my mentions over and over again, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or McCole Hardman, I'm, all those things are simply because those are the things that are going to keep them from getting to the ultimate goal. So, I mean, if you got anything you want me to rant about, you just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just, I, when I, when I saw the stat, I was just floored because yeah, when you start talking about being in the same stratosphere as Jerry Rice um, and, and doing it in such a, and, and look, I get that, you know, they, they pass a little bit more, but the Niners passed a lot for, you know, in, in the eighties and nineties and Jerry Rice is still the standard bearer for what a pass receiver is. And, and just, to have a man who's a tight end do those things. I mean, there aren't many tight ends. As soon as he caught the ball and turned up field, I at the 20 yard line there with, you know, like 12 seconds left or whatever it was in the first half, I was like, Oh, he's scoring. And there just aren't many tight ends that you, you know, you can see that. And it's just so clear. I, I just don't think that as great as he is, I still don't think he gets enough credit. And that wasn't even the best moment of the night for Travis Kelsey, man. Like he finally got to throw his touchdown pass and his mom like was on the post game zoom and got to surprise him. Cause she had been in, in Tampa Bay for Travis's older brother, Jason Kelsey's game with the Eagles uh, when they lost to, to Tampa Bay. And then his mom flew to Kansas city and, and made it in time. I don't think she got there in time to see uh, his 48 yard touchdown catch, but she was wow. there to see the the touchdown pass. And then Travis shared after the game, like he told his mom, Cause he yeah. was a quarterback in high school. Right. He told his mom when he was like five, he was going to throw a touchdown at NFL game. And, you know, after throwing an incompletion last year at Tampa and haven't had the interception a couple of years ago, in New York, didn't think Andy'd ever let him do it. And then he finally got that moment and, you know, his ninth year in the league, he gets to throw a touchdown pass. And, you know, I mean, it's just such a cool moment for a guy who's given so much to this city. Um, uh, you know, when you think about the 87 and running the ignition lab he's doing with operation breakthrough, mm-hmm. I mean, again, like he chiefs fans are lucky and, 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 and people should appreciate what they're seeing right now. Cause, um, it, this doesn't come along very often for any NFL fan base. And, and it, it's, it's crazy fun to watch these guys go out there and do their thing. And it's uh, whenever they do speak with the media, it's not, it's not as awful Patriot wise. Trust me, <laughs> right. I've been, I've right. been in some of those pressers and some of those locker rooms where it is more Patriot. Like 
So I, right, right. I I meant to ask Travis Kelsey about his New Year's resolutions, um, and I I just forgot today. That's a tough break, man. Maybe next <laughs> week. Maybe next week. So I mean, look, I thought the you know offensive line I thought did okay. Um, you know they allowed three sacks, but you know that's about on a, a, you know, an average game. You know, McColl had four catches for 43 yards. Uh, you know, I didn't, he obviously wasn't as, as impactful on the offense, but um, w- did you like what you saw from him in the return game today? Uh, you know, I, I really thought that that 48 yard punt return he had right before the interception was going to be, you know, the, the grease that got the, the wheels going a little bit. And, you know, it took a little bit longer before it to happen, but I, I thought McColl had another solid game out there. It's good to see him back up that hundred yard performance he had in Denver. Yeah, no, that's, that's the biggest part of the whole, of the whole um, situation there is that like he was able to build on what he did the previous week. And like, he needs to keep, he needs to keep stacking those up. And if he can keep stacking those up, I mean, that that's going to help them tremendously in this potential playoff run for, you know, to the road to LA, as we call it over at our station on our TV and our, on our chief special show. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, look, McCall built on what he had to, and he, he was able to make some plays in the offense. Like you said, he had the big punt return. So, I mean, you, you just hope he can keep building on that. You hope Pringle can continue to build off what game, he did. Yeah. And you hope Jerick McKinnon can keep building because all three of those guys, if they can help contribute at the level they did tonight or even better in the weeks that come and chiefs offense gets back to a scary level that, that people are going to be very nervous about in the league for the next couple of weeks. I think 42 would be enough to beat the bills, but as much as I've harped on the fact that I don't think Travis Kelsey gets his due, we've got to talk about that defense because I, like I said, I, I didn't expect much from the Steelers offense, but the performance the chiefs had in the first half, I think it got obscured a little bit because the offense was struggling so much and it's scoreless after the first quarter. And then they, yeah, the offense gives up the defensive score, and you're thinking, man, what is going on? The The Steelers had seven drives in the first half. They punted on all seven. They only had two first downs. They were one of eight on third down. Nick, they had 44 total yards in the first half. They had 13 net passing yards in the first half. Like, you almost have to be intentionally... Like, you, you know, you have to be like running like a veer offense to have 13 passing yards and net passing yards in a half of a game. TJ Watts, 26 yard fumble return was nearly four times longer than any play. The offense managed at running or passing in that first. It was crazy. Um, what stood out to you about the defense or was that more about Pittsburgh just being awful on offense? It, um, I mean, Reality check wise, it was it was a little bit of both. Yeah, no, so, I, agree. I, agree. Um, I mean, part of it was the defense in the first four series. They went out there and set the tempo like they like they used to do on some of their other postseason runs, and they were able to. I mean, they they were reading they were reading Pittsburgh's mail early on those first three series. Like they they knew everything Ben was doing, everything Ben was going to audible to, how they were going to answer to it. The way Hitchens was uh, shifting some of the defensive tackles to funnel them to a certain spot where they were going to be waiting in that gap. I mean, they, they had the Steelers number there for those first three or four drives. And if the chiefs offense had been able to start firing a little bit quicker, like that, that game would have been, that game would have been decided <laughs> a lot earlier than uh, what it ended up being. But there was, 
the that defense, the Chiefs defense came out there aggressive. They had the energy that they needed to. They just needed the offense to be able to match that, and it took a while. And then there were some there were some spots where the uh, Ben and those guys started finally testing them vertically downfield. They tried Traverse Ward early. It didn't go as well, and they didn't get any of the PI PI calls that they were hoping for. But they went after Mike Hughes, and they were successful a handful of times. And there was a couple balls that I mean that Ben Roethlisberger placed in spots that there was good coverage. It's just he put it in the perfect spot. So. I mean, it, like I said, it's a little bit of both, but I mean, you know, it'll, I mean, some of the, some of the teams that are still left in, in the playoffs, I mean, the chiefs are going to have to have a different approach collectively or be firing all cylinders from the start for what they're going to have to accomplish to get to where they want to go. Well, I, I, that starts with, with Buffalo, obviously. Right. Um, uh, the one guy I would single out, you know, you talked about some of the, the rookies on offense, and how nice it was for them to get their feet wet. As the season's gone along, like I, it, I almost forget that Nick Bolton's a rookie sometimes, man. I mean, he was out there for like what thirty-seven snaps and had eight tackles. The dude gets a tackle like one out of every five snaps he's on the field. He just seems pretty unflappable at what he does. Just kind of quietly goes out there on a day when Tyron Matthew, I don't think had a single tackle. I don't remember his him being involved, and I think that's because Pittsburgh was avoiding him. You know, but Nick Bolton and Legarius Sneed are out there leading the team in in, in tackles. I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, how much of a difference maker a guy like like a, a Bolton or a guy like a Sneed um, can be. And you know, could look the Bills. The Bills took the Chiefs to the woodshed back in Week Five, man. Like, I mean, thirty-eight twenty, and it really wasn't competitive after that Micah Hyde interception return for a touchdown early in the third quarter. Did you see enough from the Chiefs to feel confident about the divisional matchup with Buffalo? Or are you still kind of like, oh man, like uh um like the, you know, I'm I'm really nervous about this one, Todd. It it honestly is I mean, uh, look, I'm always going to be nervous that's just who I am. Um it, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the Chiefs could have a every single pro football hall of famer on the roster or future one. And I'd still be nervous about, about the games. Hugs reduce stress by the way, Nick. So just keep that in mind. If you're like stressed this week when we're in the office or something. So anyways, uh, I, I lost my place. So let me see if I can find my bookmark here real quick and uh, no, but get, I mean, back I, that, I, get back to that page. Are, are you worried about, this matchup still, I mean, do, do you think, I don't think Buffalo's unbeatable, but they're playing pretty darn good football too. Well, I mean, from what Buffalo did on Saturday night, the, the key point was that Devin Singletary ran really strong through some tackles there and that he had some authority in his running and his running style there on Saturday night. But the, the two most important pieces involved Josh Allen, like just, he, he knew when to rifle it in there at times. And he knew when to put touch on it, and he copied one of Patrick Mahomes' uh, type of type of throws there when he nonchalantly started rolling out to his right and kind of made it look like he was going to throw it away, and he kind of given up on the play, and he just lofts it for his tight end to go get it in the back near the back pylon for that touchdown that kind of set things off. And I mean his placement his placement during that game against the Patriots, I mean. It was on point so many times where they were in good coverage and he still plays it perfectly. And 
the receiver, tight end, whoever went up and got it. So, or dug it out. I mean, either way, that that offense is very efficient, and we'll see if the Bills are able to continue to keep that efficiency. So it'll it'll be very interesting. But I mean, look, I mean, the reality is the other three teams that are still left, whether it's the Bengals, Titans, or Bills, you know, they've all beaten the Chiefs in a regular season. So I mean. <laughs> But I, I'm very curious to see how humble the Bills are come in this time around. Because, I mean, part of the problem is with the offensive performance they put up and then also kind of what they're able to do against the Patriots. I could I could see them get a little overly confident potentially. And if the Chiefs come out to play and have the right mentality and can kind of put us together early, that, that could give them a nice little leg up early on. Right. And, and to counteract that, if I'm Sean McDermott, I, I – make the guys come in on Tuesday for film study. And I just make them watch the AFC championship game last year and, and just be like, remember how that felt like what you did back in October means absolutely nothing. You guys didn't even finish above them in the regular season, which is why we're having to come back to Kansas city guys. Remember the feeling of when the chiefs did the same thing to you guys last season. Like, like I, I, I don't think Buffalo is going to come in uh, overly confident um, be, because of last season, I also think, and, and tell me if you feel different, but I also think that this is maybe a bit of a de facto, um, AFC championship game. I really believe the winner of Kansas city Buffalo, um, it, it is going to beat the winner of Tennessee Cincinnati and go on to the super bowl. I mean, it's certainly a possibility, but I, I will say that I do I do truly believe that the four teams that are still left uh, in the AFC divisional round, I think those are I think those are the four best teams. You don't think the season. Chargers are one of the four best teams? Not with that run defense. So <laughs> how'd they do this weekend? They, they crushed it. They crushed it on their couches, man. <laughs> they ordered Grubhub like you'd never believe before. Yeah, there's one guy who had three Grubhub orders in less than less than uh, thirty minutes. You know, record record. That was Patrick Mahomes esque pace there. I know the postseason record right there for Grubhub. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I, I do think these are the four best teams that are still left standing. Like I mean, I know that's that's obvious to say, but there's times where something fluky happens, or you know, an officiating crew shows up to a game, um, which I I do want to talk about. I do want to say, I was going to say, we can get to the rest of the wild card weekend. Well, no, 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 I'm I'm not, I, I'm going to be blunt. I didn't get to watch a ton of the rest of the wild card weekend simply because I was busy putting together a 90 minute pregame show. So I didn't get to watch with close eyes as as much as I normally would. But you saw the draw play heard around Texas, right? (laughs) No, I, I, I haven't, I haven't yet. I'll end up checking it out. It was Uh, glorious. I'll end up checking it out, but I haven't haven't seen it yet. So don't spoil it for me, Todd. Um, (laughs) But, but uh, just to let you know, it did not work out well for the Cowboys. (laughs) I can, I can tell by Jerry Jones's comments afterwards. Um, But no, I do want to say the chiefs, uh, Sean Smith and the, the crew that the chiefs and Steelers had tonight. That's one of the best officiating crews I've seen this year. Like, I mean, you know, it it was, they, they called when they needed to, but it wasn't something that you couldn't believe or was ridiculous. Like, I mean, there were fair calls on both sides and like they, they didn't try to bail, you know, bend out on some of his underthrows and, or overthrows or, you know, they just, they didn't have, they didn't have ridiculous calls. So 
the fact that they're in the divisional round kind of, or I mean, in the wild card round kind of disappoints me because what I saw from their crew, I mean, that's, that's that they were kind of the standard of what you actually want in the league right now. So I hope, I hope they can find more crews like Sean Smith's crew was for that game, because that, that, uh, that was a really good game to watch. And I don't feel like the officiating crew really influenced. No, I, I agree. I, I think, um, uh, would they end up calling like five, I think they had five penalties in the first half. And then, um, I think they end up calling seven for the game. Um, yeah, they're know. normally, they're normally 10 or under. Right. Right. They're they're They call some of the fewest penalties in the game. Like, but mm-hmm. again, like NFL officiating was a theme of this weekend. You had the inadvertent whistle and then the NFL telling you, no, that whistle you very clearly heard in the middle of the play didn't actually happen in, in the Bengals Raiders game. Um, <laughs> you know, you had the controversy about the umpire spiking the ball and look, it's not the umpire's fault. Like Dak handed it to his center. The center spotted himself. And then they, the umpire was trying to run through to get to the ball so he could touch it and, and give him a chance. And, and then the other thing that, look, it was a stupid call when you have no timeouts to run a quarterback draw with under 15 seconds and hopes you get up and spike it. But more than that, um, not understanding the mechanics and, and giving yourself a chance and also not just, I mean, you're going to run five verticals there anyway, right? Like if you, if you don't have time, you need three seconds to get the snap, spike the ball, have it hit the ground with one second left. They snapped it with one second left. He was never going to be able to get the ball down in time. You've got to be prepared. If you are going to call a quarterback draw in that situation to say, okay, if we can get up to the line and then resnap it, we're just running five verticals. We're not spiking it. We're not stopping. We're not resetting anything. Line up, go. They didn't do any of those things. They McCarthy, you know, and McCarthy's going to take a lot of heat for it, but I, I don't think that Mike McCarthy called the quarterback draw in that situation. Um, you know, so, uh, but I mean, it, like the officiating like inserted itself in, in ways that if you're the NFL, you probably don't want officiating to insert itself. Um, you know, I mean, the, the officiating crew in Buffalo, New England didn't really distinguish itself any either, but didn't matter in a 30 point 30 point game. But like you said, um, the officials weren't part of the storyline in, in chiefs Steelers. And that's what you want. You almost want the officials to be like offensive linemen, right? Like they, they only get noticed for bad things. Generally. Uh, I think that's changing a little bit because people love to watch Trey Smith block, you know, pancake guys, stuff like that. But for the most part, offensive linemen, get known if they false start or hold a lot referees get known if they botch calls and screw up games. Um, and, and that didn't happen in this one. So kudos to Sean Smith. I, I hope he referees every chiefs game for the rest of the season and all of next season and all of the year after that. I hope so. That'd be nice. That was my NFL officiating rant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's all I got for that one. <laughs> all right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, good for the Bengals snap at a 31 year playoff drought. Chiefs fans can certainly, uh, certainly have a, a sense of what that's like, right? Um, 93 to 2015. Um, so not quite as long as the Bengals, but you know, nice to see Buffalo with its little flex, you know, Tampa Bay, I think, you know, they, they flexed a little bit too and showed that even, even depleted, they're going to be a factor, um, in the postseason here. 
Um, San Francisco, despite Jimmy Garoppolo trying very, very hard to give that game away, still prevailed. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in, in, you know, Cardinals Rams, which I know is your favorite game of the weekend other than the chiefs game. Um, but I, it's been a fun, it's been a fun weekend of football. Yeah. I'm looking forward. I know it sounds stupid of me to say, but judge me all you want. I'm looking forward to watching the, uh, record of the Nickelodeon broadcast for the, <laughs> for the Cowboys 49ers. It's good to see once a year. You don't want to see it every week, but it, you know, it, it's, it's a nice little change of pace. Um, I, so if the, if the chiefs win a super bowl again, I know that you're probably still not going to be in a hugging mood, but, but would you be more amenable if I could get some Nickelodeon slime and we did, you know, we gave you a, a, a Nickelodeon slime bath to celebrate. No, thank you. No touching, no touching. Still no thank you. <laughs> All right. We don't even have to do it on your truck. I don't want to mess Still up. No, thank truck. you. Okay. We could like auction it off. Knock, knock. Okay. Knock, knock. <laughs> if you say no, thank you. I'm <laughs> knock, <there>. knock. <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I knew it was coming. I walked right into that. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I was just trying to, I was spitballing there. I didn't realize you were such a Nickelodeon fan. What's your favorite Nickelodeon show? I don't have one. It's 3.30 in the morning, man. <laughs> okay. Wrap this up. Are you telling me you want to wrap this up? Yeah, man. I woke up at 7 this morning to do right. the 10 a.m. show. Well, and then do 90-minute uh, pregame show for 5 right. o'clock. So. All right. So I uh, want to play you're... a game called Go to Sleep, Todd. It's a very hey, exciting I... game I hope to win at. Me, me too. You're not alone there, brother. You're not but here you there. are still talking, dragging this out. Well, I, you know, the Nickelodeon thing was a bit of a revelation to me. I, I was not aware. So. Well, Todd, when we've had more sleep, we can uh, discuss it even more in the next podcast. Okay. Maybe when you're not so tired, you'll, you'll reconsider the, my slime Gatorade bath off. Oh yeah. That's that's going to be a no, a no, thank you. No matter what. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll hug it out later. Still a no. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I tried. I, I got nothing else. So take care kids. <laughs>